Do you want to smell better naked? Always. Thanks to our sponsor, Lumi, you can smell good with or without clothes all year long. Lumi is a whole body deodorant and it's seriously safe to use anywhere on your body like pits, under boobs, thigh folds, belly button, butt cracks, vulvas, feet. I definitely was using it in the summer in the, you know, the folds <laughs> that uh, get a little sweatier. <laughs> and since becoming pregnant, I've been hearing that one of the things that people don't talk about that you should be prepared for is the wretched scent <laughs> that emits from our bodies postpartum. So you know, I have a whole drawer stocked with the wipes, the different like gliding sticks. And it's baking soda free and paraben free. It's pure balance and safe for use below the belt and it's super easy to like travel with they have the little like travel packs wipe packs that you can bring with you i have one in my car just in case and then i put some in my purse lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers it comes with a solid stick deodorant cream tube deodorant two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes and free shipping so as a special offer for our listeners new customers get five dollars off a lumi starter pack with code tgog at lumideodorant.com that equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code TGOG. This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. Live from Massachusetts. Live from your office. (laughs) Where you were poked by a ghost yesterday. I don't know what the heck happened. That was weird. I don't know. Or your lightning crotch moved to your arm. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm not going to blame it completely on ghosts because I'm experiencing weird things. Yeah. Consistently. So who knows what it is. But I, a few weeks ago, had said on Campfire Stories... When you were having tech issues, well, tech issues, the power went out and so you got like booted. Yeah. And so I told a story about how my dad's office is experiencing haunting. And then you're like, wait, what's happening? And I was like, oh, I'll tell you on one of the episodes. Mm. And then I forgot to tell you. Because we got caught up in your house hauntings and then my power outages. Yeah. So what's happening? So I'm pretty sure it's the Rutland office because my dad has two offices that he works Mm -hmm. from for insurance for Allstate. But he was sitting with one of his I feel employees. like we should do an ad. Do you need protection for insurance? Go to yeah. Allstate. Bill Vienne. You're in good hands. <laughs> Bill Vienne Allstate Agency. He called me the other day and he was like, I swear it was the Rutland one. He said that he and I think his employee, Brittany, were sitting in Brittany's office mm-hmm. and they were going over some stuff. And they're probably sitting like the distance of you and me. And right here in the middle of them, they hear a woman's voice say, Hello loudly and clearly so my dad just stops and he said that he couldn't like he knew kind of that they said hello but he wasn't really sure like he was confused yeah and so he just looked over at Brittany and was like did you hear something and she's like oh you mean the woman that just said hello Hello? and then they freak out and they go tell the office manager and the office manager is like oh yeah I have experiences here too And she has experienced a bunch. And then she had a lot of knowledge of like locally Mm -hmm. what had happened to the building before it became this Mm Allstate agency. Apparently, when they were doing renovations and construction, all the construction workers were reporting a bunch of paranormal activity. Yes, they do. Years and years ago. And it's never really stopped. Interesting. 
So it's what is the history that it took of it? So long, I don't know. You don't know because I'm curious. I mean, that feels like a very active haunting. Yeah, like a very. It's like on the main joining street, into so. the conversation. Hello, I'm here too. Mm-hmm. I would like to partake. Hello. And then in my dad's other office, they were really suspicious that there was a ghost. And I was like, honestly, it kind of sounds like someone's breaking into the office <laughs> at night. And then they finally figured out that it was um, a raccoon. <laughs> no, there were people that were working in the building oh. that were going in and taking things and moving things. So that was solved. That one was solved. So one office, humans are interfering. Another office, paranormal activity. Well, see, that's the thing is they were able to prove that the first one was humans. They cannot yeah. prove that this new one is. Although they were trying to scream paranormal right away, which is like. Which is very us. <laughs> I wonder where you got that from. Uh, I was the one that was like. I think maybe you should put up a camera because this kind of <laughs> sounds like someone's breaking into your office. Well, at least it wasn't a break-in. That's also good. No. I know. But I do wonder about this woman. Hello. And the fact that she hasn't, like, that was such a clear hello that they heard. And the fact that other people have experienced things and just maybe never said anything. But this was my dad's first time experiencing yeah. something. He's had the office for 20-some years. That is weird. Yeah. I don't huh. know. Okay. You'll have to keep us updated. Yeah, I will. Last night, I could not sleep for the life of me. Something in, in the air. Something is in the air, but also I think it's a little bit of, you know, staying in a new place by yourself for the first couple of nights is always a little bit weird. Yeah. But there is the, it's an old house in Marblehead. And I was watching TV in bed and all of a sudden I hear, Creek. And it truly sounded like someone was walking on the floor above me. Oh my god! And this is like a house. It's an, like I was the only, I'm the only one staying there, and so I right. I so you're paused. like, is someone was someone in the attic or something, and yeah. they're coming down. Exactly. Well, it's a bedroom up, upstairs, right above. Yeah. So I pause my TV or my computer, and I'm like just listening, and I gotta like still hear it, and it truly sounds like footsteps on an old rickety floorboard. Like truly, these floorboards are the type that when you are up in the room and there's a light on downstairs, you can see the light shine through the cracks. Yeah. Like, that's how old it is. <laughs> oh, so then incredible. I'm, like, also, really trying to figure it out. You're in the historic part of Marblehead. Yeah. Like, you're staying in literally the oldest like part of Marblehead. buildings, all of that. Next to the fort, next mm-hmm. to the old cemeteries. Yes. Exactly. So I am trying to do everything to just figure out what it is. Like, what's the reality here? It's got to be something... Maybe it's the heating system because even like the downstairs, the floor kind of shakes because of the heater. But I'm like, why would the upstairs be shaking? Why does it sound like someone's walking? And then I realized right outside my window, there's like this old flagpole that I think the wind was like twisting it and it was, it's attached to the wall. So it makes it creak. But then anyway, I was like, okay, now I know what it is. So it won't scare me as much. But then last time I was in Marblehead, I wrote and came up with the concept for an entire show which I've been playing around with writing as a book. And so I'm trying to fall asleep. I cannot fall asleep because this narrative is just like in my head that I literally, I had to open my computer and write. And start I writing I wrote for it? two hours last night. Isn't it so wild? Because when you came up with the idea, it was after you were struggling for a really long time with writer's block. Yeah. And you got to Marblehead and like 20 minutes later, we're on a walk and you're just, the next 45 minutes of our walk, you're like, and then this character, and then this person, and we do this, and blah, blah, blah. And like immediately. you were just immediately going through it. I just it's flying. so weird that you come back, and, and then I it just cannot sleep. <sighs> comes out again. 
Also, so in a, an Encounters episode that comes out, I think it's in March. So a couple of weeks after this episode comes out, we talk about Christy, who is one of our listeners, who's been mm-hmm. sending me all of this, like these messages and this intuition and things that she's been getting from my spirit guides and my family. And she believes that I am a reincarnation of this man named Sam who died alongside an ancestor of mine. Mm-hmm. And remember how you were saying, like, what if I have some type of ancestral connection to Marblehead in Massachusetts? Yeah. Did you look into it? Well, so she last night sent me this whole message and she was like, I'm learning more, a little bit more about your past life. And guess where Sam, Samuel, was born? Salem, Massachusetts? He's from Maryland, but born in Massachusetts. Oh, my God. And later moved to Los Angeles when he was an adult. And I haven't done any research on the specifics of who this man is. And I haven't been able to find all of that. But I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. What if? It is weird because it just it makes me go back to when we talked to Ariel Willow Mm -hmm. about astrocartography and just like how aligned where you are and what you're feeling and what you're like capable of doing has to do with like your birth chart. But then don't your birth charts kind of have to do with just like who you are and your souls and past lives and like just... So many different things. It's It's so so, weird. It's so intertwined. Yeah. That every it's like everything is connected. Mm -hmm. And it's like almost reminding me too of the couple times that I've had memories that weren't mine passing through an area I'd never been in and could completely remember it. And it's like, that's a path. Like I've been here, but not. But not in this life. Not in this body. And And so you do have those memories and those feelings. And you're like, oh, I remember when I did this. And you're like, well, actually, you didn't do that. Right. Someone else did. So maybe you do have fond memories of of this area. Of Massachusetts. Yeah. Who knows how long Sam was here? I know. Or if he ever returned. I know. Well, the other thing is, you know how they say that your memories are attached to like your senses Mm -hmm. and smell being one of the most significant ones? Like I wonder if Because I always wonder, like, why is it, like, certain things trigger memory from past lives? But it must be, like, sense-oriented. Yeah. I don't know. It's so weird, though, because it's, like, I've talked about this maybe on the podcast before, but I've definitely told. we know. It's been almost seven (sighs) years. (laughs) But, like, my my grandpa lived in Stonington, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. and I've only been on the train to and from New York, from Boston, like, twice. Mm -hmm. And every single time when I'm, like, reading my book or on my computer— that we passed Stonington, which I've never been to that town. Every single time without a doubt, I look up and look out and go, wow, what is this place? And I look it up on the it's map the and it's Stonington. Place. So it's like my grandpa's still alive hmm. and I'm not smelling anything except for the inside of the train. You but inherited it. for some it. reason, I know, I feel like, oh, I have to examine this town as I'm going by. Who has the answers? <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. Who are we? What are we? But it kind of makes, as someone who tends to be very depressed and sad in life, that makes me appreciate life. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that we just don't understand. There's a lot that's super magical. cool about. Yeah. Kind of cool. It is very cool. Like, I feel like the things that I do understand end up making me more depressed than the things that I don't understand. Also, have you put some thought into the fact that all of these ideas are falling out in Marblehead. Uh-huh. Like, do you think that you talk I about I need to move to here? Well, <laughs> I won't pressure you on, on that. I did enough last time we recorded. But I'm just saying, like, you've talked about going to Europe for yeah. a few months. Do you think to write, I presume, to write that story? Well, I don't know which story. I wrote down a list of, like, seven ideas that I'm like, which one should I write? 
So well, maybe you should write. I'll throw them in a hat and this one here. I think I should write like this one in Marblehead. Yeah, I where agree. it comes out like a minimum effort compared to how you might feel writing right. it somewhere else. Definitely. Hmm. Well, the one thing I know for certain is if I even if I don't move back to the East Coast, I will one hundred percent be spending time in my life in Marblehead. Damn, it's so wild. Like, yeah, I've brought you to Marblehead before you stayed in Marblehead. Yeah, you've you been to, to Marblehead cemetery. before. Yeah. And then when you were coming into town, you were like, oh, I'm I'm having writer's block. I want to work on things. I want to like have some time. And I was like, instead of going to Boston, I literally was like, why don't you go to Marblehead? Because you can walk around and it's cute. It's quaint. It's right on the water. There's adorable little shops like you can get so much inspiration. And you're like, okay. And then boom. And here I am. So weird. A literary genius on the rise. (laughs) (laughs) It does make me wish we could go back and see how you felt the very first time. Because you've been once or twice before yeah. spending the night there. Well, I think every time I've come out to visit you in Boston and the We're surrounding areas, there. I've loved it. But like, you know, yeah. like I've never left this area and been like, oh, I never want to go back. I've always right. been like, I have such a fond love and appreciation for this area. And also I was seeing you like I was having a great time. Like, of course, of course, I left being like, I love it here. Well, and it's hard, too, because like when we were going, we're specifically going to walk around the cemetery. So it's like things. If you do, I feel feel so alive around the dead. You associate it with the excitement or just like being around the graves and not necessarily the location itself. Right. But it is interesting. Mm -hmm. Serendipitous. Thank goodness you wanted a week to just be out here. I know. And thank goodness I was like, well. I know you're not going to want a car, so here's a place to walk around. And look at us now. You can dedicate that book to me. Okay. (laughs) I will, actually. That's how I will be rewarded for my (laughs) suggestion. (laughs) It is amazing. I mean, I've told you this before, but the amount of times you have as a person and as a brain inspired my own thoughts. Like my whole script that got me into the Warner Brothers Writers Program was inspired by an Uber ride we were in. we were driving to a bar. I don't know if I should be proud of this cuz I know exactly where this is going. Oh, it's the best. There might be a reason as to why you can't lose weight. Stress. And if you have moderate to high stress, there is a doctor formulated weight loss supplement called Lean that could be your solution. I didn't know this, but chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And then, you know, what I did know is that when I'm stressed, I stress eat and especially stress eat sugar. Yeah, it's hard not to, but there is good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. And if life is a bit stressful and you do have some weight that you want to lose, you can add lean into your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com and enter TGOG. That's promo code TGOG at takelean.com, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease and is not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. You should be proud of it because it got me to where I am in my life. Anyway, we're... we're you based a serial killer off of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so we're in an Uber driving to a bar and I don't even know how we got into the conversation but we were like oh what would you do if someone came and broke into your home so to be fair we were all talking about something disturbing yeah and 
you said, oh, well, I would be sitting there and in the dark. And when they come into the living room, I'd turn the light on and stare at them and say, I've been waiting for you and scare the shit out of them. <laughs> and that one thought of yours spurned an entire story that got me into the oh my God. Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's when you don't filter your thoughts and, and let it all fly. And it works. God. This it's is reminding you're me my of- muse. <laughs> I'm your muse. You're like, my muse. Like, uh, what's her face from Uncut Gems or for Uncut Gems? Julia. Julia Fox? Uh, Julia Fox. Oh my God. You're I my don't... Julia Fox. Give me a second. I need to go change my eyeliner. Put your makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Big praise. Wow. Thanks. I'm really glad we figured that out. Okay. Are you ready for today's episode? Yes. Okay. For this episode, I would like to recommend to everyone a little thing, a little something. A little okay. treat to all of you. Ooh, if tasty. you are listening to this episode on an evening, maybe after work, or if you work from home and you just feel like having a little bit of a drink. Bevergino. A Bevergino. I highly recommend you grab a spirit because this is a haunting of a pub. Ooh. So grab that beer, crack it open, go to your local pub, pop your headphones in, ask for uh, what's on tap, sit back. Relax and enjoy the show. Wait, what's that? Okay, so for people that don't drink, what's that one drink that you were telling me when I wasn't? Oh, um, I like Kin Euphorics. There's a lot nowadays of. Uh, what did we have in the hot tub when we were at the farm? At? Oh, that's the mocktail I make. Yeah, I love that. What is it? Again? Okay, it's just sparkling water and one of the suja juices, but it was like um from Whole Foods or whatever. Yeah, from Whole yeah. Foods, like a lemon cayenne ginger drink yeah that was delicious gives you a little kick in the back of your throat it's so Mm -hmm. good and Mm -hmm. you can put like a little rosemary stem in there to make it look like a fresh cocktail a slice of lemon smoke the rosemary yeah ooh. but also can you forks is really good there's also non-alcoholic beers there's so many options there's a whole non-alcoholic drink shop in brentwood really it's called boisson which is french for drink i like that okay so when you think of an irish pub what do you think of Guinness. Beer. Guinness. Kelt. Uh, them blasting American girl and all the American <laughs> tourists belting their yeah. lungs out. Exactly. Dublin. Well, you might Nile also, Horn. after this episode, associate Irish pubs with dead bodies. <laughs> oh, my God. This is not in Ireland. This is in Seattle. Kells Pub is a staple Irish pub in downtown Seattle. And we even walked right past it. When we were there. And we did. Remember when we were in that little alley with the gum wall yeah. and the ghost coffee? That Yeah, that little coffee shop. The entrance is right there. No way. Yeah. It was a creepy little alley. It is. But this pub is right there. We were so close. We were so close. We didn't even know. It's located in Pike Place Market. And I'm going to real quick just rewrite history. Okay? Okay. Bear with me. So, Corinne and I you are on You wouldn't be the tour. first one to do that. <laughs> <laughs> just picture this imagine we were in that alleyway it was an, mm-hmm. it was a rainy day right before a show we had been traveling the rain was coming down hard we needed to step inside for a moment yeah and you didn't know you were pregnant we chugged our coffee and we we're like let's get something a little stronger a little here colder yeah mm. and we see this irish pub and we decide let's go let's go grab a drink before the show 
And we go in and we look at the bar and we see there's there's a couple of seats open at the bar, mm-hmm. but there's a man sitting at one of them and there's two empty seats next to him. So we decide, let's like grab those seats. So we go over and I'm like, hey, is anyone sitting here? And the man doesn't really look at us. He's, he's like, oh, you know, he like mumbles something. We're like, okay. Over. Yeah. yeah. He's got a nice hat on. No more ice in his whiskey glass. Just right. his own breath fogging it up. Exactly. But then we go, we sit down. I sit next to the man. You sit next to me. And we order a drink, a nice cold one. And we're just talking, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, you stop talking. And you look at me. And I'm like, well, that's a weird look. <laughs> but then I realize, you're not looking at me. You're looking just past me, just behind me. So I slowly turn. And that man that was there, he's not there anymore. Mm. But we didn't feel him move. We didn't feel him leave. We both kind of look at each other. And before we could say anything, the bartender goes, you saw the ghost, didn't you? Oh, I wish this was true. Well, I hope I painted the picture enough to believe that it happened. And if it didn't happen to us, because it didn't, it does (laughs) happen to many people at Kell's Pub in Seattle. This is the ghost of Charlie, who is one of the most commonly seen ghosts at Kell's Pub. But is he kind of antisocial? Um, he just doesn't want to be talked to, he, or in just our scenario, he's in just like, in our scenario, enough of you two and your energy. He was really there for his own enjoyment, mm. not for us. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. We could be, we could be a lot. We can be, as a lot of you who are listening might know. <laughs> Those of you who skip through our banter in the beginning, sorry, I'm not. <laughs> A lot of you come for the ghosts. Some of you come for the friendship. I come for the friendship. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it started. So yeah. Okay. So that didn't really happen to us, unfortunately. But in my mind and in my recreation, it did. But this happens to a lot of people at Kell's Pub because it is haunted AF. But we're mm. like, you know, we like to ask the question, what could have caused the haunting? Well, here we are to tell you there are a lot of reasons that this building is so haunted. So we're going to take a trip through history. Okay. And this kind of goes, I realize as I'm writing it, it kind of goes all over the place because there's a lot of side stories that will bring us back to Kell's Pub. Okay. So Kell's Irish Restaurant and Bar was founded in 1983 by the McCallis family, McCallis family, but it wasn't opened originally in this building. I couldn't figure out where it was, but according to their website, it brings the traditions and culture of the Glens of Atrium to Seattle and offers a truly authentic Irish experience. It currently, where it is now, takes up residence in one of the oldest and most historic buildings in Seattle. It is called the Butterworth Building. Ooh, that sounds yummy. It does. But the Butterworth Building, when I looked up this building, this is the first article that popped up. Pike Place's Butterworth Building has pretty much been creepy since day one. Oh. So here begins our first tangent story. So the Butterworth Building, that's all of Pike Place Market now. No, it's just one specific building. Okay. Yeah. Here, I'll show you a picture. This is what it looked like back in the day. So it's just this building. Oh, okay. It's so not Pike in Place? Pike Place. No, it's no. across. It's, it's like across from a it. building adjacent to. So that whole Where area. Where we got those gluten-free called, cookies. Yeah, over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I like that. Okay, so the Butterworth Building. In order to tell you about that, I have to tell you about the man it was named after and built by. Edgar Ray Butterworth was a revolutionary. He was lovingly called E.R. Butterworth. He was born in 1847 in Newtown, Upper Falls, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. A mass hole. A mass hole. And he, from an early age, was like, determined to work really hard, 
to fight for his country, to fight for his family and work really hard and make money for his family. When he was, I think, 15, the American Civil War was going on and he tried to enlist. But because he was too young, he was turned away. Wow. So instead, he became a hatter and studied law. So by 21, he was admitted into the Massachusetts bar. He married a woman named Grace Whipple, who very tragically, two years later, died during childbirth. Oh, gosh. So he was heartbroken and he was like, I need to start over. So he moved to St. Louis, Missouri. So the child died too then? No, I think the child lived. Okay. So he now as a single father and widower moves to St. Louis and returns to his work as a hatter again. Then he met and married a woman named Maria Gillespie and moved to Kansas. This guy has had so many careers. So he's a hatter. He's a lawyer. He goes back to a hatter. And then when he moves to Kansas, he becomes a cattleman. Okay. And in Kansas... There were so many planes and a lot of bison, Mm -hmm. and there was this job that not many people wanted. Basically, it was hauling the bones of dead bison across the plains of Kansas to the railroad. And if you, it was like you got paid ten dollars a ton of how much how many bones you would bring over. Yeah, and he was like, "I'll do that. That's good money." My God! So he went from basically giving himself lead poisoning mm-hmm. being yeah. a hatter yeah. to just like dragging bones carcasses around yeah he so this is where his foray into the bone business began <laughs> there's a gateway drug for everyone <laughs> and it starts with teeth it starts Ends with, with teeth. Full, full bones <laughs> starts with uh bison bones in this story so it was like a very necessary but grueling job. So Edgar Ray Butterworth would haul bones of bison across the plains of Kansas. Mm-hmm. And it was here on the desolate plains of Kansas that E.R. Butterworth went from bison bone Butterworth to human remains Butterworth. Also, I realized as I was writing this how much I love alliteration. <laughs> like wordplay, I think, is my foreplay. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of it in all of your stories. Yeah. Like you do write it a lot. Yeah. Because it turns like me on. You like style. It's hot. <laughs> Maybe you like poetry as well. Well, I'm terrible at writing poetry, but I think I just like the way, like the way that this came naturally, Bison Bone Butterworth. The fact that it- Triple B? Triple B. It named itself. <laughs> you did nothing. I did nothing. The power of Butterworth, his spirit just came through you. Yeah. And oozed out some bison bone. <laughs> through my bones. <laughs> okay, so as the story goes, E.R. Butterworth is hauling bison bones across the plains of Kansas mm-hmm. when all of a sudden he comes across this man who is like gut-wrenching, wailing, crying. Jeez. And so he stops his wagon. He stops his crew. And I'm glad he did stop, you know. Right. Some people would just be like, ignore, move on. Right. So he goes to attend to this man and he finds out that this man is weeping over his deceased wife and newborn child because his wife and child died during childbirth. Oh, my gosh. So Butterworth, who can empathize and understand what this man is going through, stops everything he's doing and is like, how can I help this man? He decides to, out of his own wagon, fashion coffins. And he gives this stranger's wife and child a burial Mm. out of the kindness of his heart. That's so sweet. I also did not think you were about to say wagon. I thought he was going to make coffins out of bones. 
And I was like, that's actually kind of sick. That would have been really sick. No, he was, uh, he disassembled his own wagon. I wonder if he still managed to get the bones back to the railroad. Anyway, he just did this act of kindness for a stranger and continues on with his life. So he tried to stay in the cattle business, but something in his life just kept calling him back to the dead. And in 1881, he moved to Washington. He served as the city mayor of this town called Centralia. And the story of his coffin building followed him. I don't know necessarily how, but basically at a certain time, there was an epidemic that struck and he could no longer evade this calling. It was black diphthera, which hit the region, and there was a rise in mortality that no one could keep up with. So people turned to Butterworth and they were like, help us build coffins for all the dead. That's it feels so random. It feels like there would have been someone else who who that was like their expertise. Their trade was building coffins. So why think. this one guy who built two coffins one time? I don't know. It was his calling. Jeez. And it and so, those must have been sick ass coffins <laughs> if everyone if that they reputation were the most comfortable elite coffins. Yeah. You could pillow ever lined. Butterworth coffins. Sleep peacefully for eternity. <laughs> You all know my best friend, Leia. Oh, not me. (laughs) My other best friend, my feline furry friend, Leia. Um, And she's a great pet. But there is one thing that is hard about having a cat is that sometimes litter smells stinky, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. when you use pretty litter. And as someone who's been a guest in your house, Sabrina, I can say I have never once noticed a cat odor. And I can't say the same for everybody (laughs) whose houses I've been in. But nothing beats pretty litter's ability to instantly trap odor. It's ultra absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six pound bag works for up to a month without clumping. That means no more wasting litter. And it also gives you peace of mind. Like Sabrina, you caught a UTI with pretty My litter. mom did too with her cat and she's been texting me like, can I get more pretty litter? And I'm like, sure, mom, I'll send you some more. <laughs> Gift her some pretty litter. And it's great because it ships right to your door for free and I don't have to lug kitty litter bags all over the place and they don't take up as much space. I can count on pretty litter to keep my house smelling fresh and clean and you can too. Go to prettylitter.com slash T-G-O-G to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash T-G-O-G to save 20% on your first order. Prettylitter.com slash T-G-O-G. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So it was at this point where he seemed to realize that beyond being able to offer like a kindness and a service to people, that the coffin business was actually a lucrative business. Mm. So he undertook the undertaking. Nice. More wordplay from me. (laughs) So in 1892, he and the business really took off and he relocated with his family to Seattle and renamed the business E.R. Butterwork and Sons, where I believe five of his sons started working with him. Okay. Yeah. So was Seattle like a site where people were dying of exceptional rate compared to the, the rest of America? I mean, it was a big city. I don't think necessarily in compared to the rest of America, but the gold rush was happening and there was a lot of like violence in terms of shootouts and stuff. So people were dying in Seattle. There were a couple of epidemics. I think it was just like it was a big city. So okay. he was in Washington, so close to that area, and decided to centralize his business. All right. So he'd already kind of migrated out west. Yes, he had. Quite far. Yeah. In October of 1903, they moved the mortuary business to the custom-built 
Butterworth Block at 1921 First Avenue, the Butterworth Building. Dang. So you might be wondering, how did we go from a cool Irish pub to the Bison Bones Butterworth? This is how. The first business to ever occupy the space that Kell's Irish Pub now does was the Butterworth and Sons Funeral Business, a mortuary. Mm. It was the city's first custom-built mortuary and was built to accommodate all death-related services. So from corpse retrieval to coffin making to funerals and mourning processing, all of that. That's great. I mean, yeah. the last thing you want to do when you lose a loved one is have to figure out all the different yeah. parts that you have to do. Just one-stop shop, full they service. Streamlined That's it. great. Yeah. And the building had uh, the very first elevator on the West Coast of the U.S. Mm-hmm. The whole West Coast? The whole West Coast. Dang, but And it was built by the same guy. I think his name's John Graham, who built the infamous Space Needle a couple of years mm-hmm. later. But they built it as an optical illusion. So from certain angles, it looks like it's only three stories, but it's actually five. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Why not? It's fun. So not only was it a modern revolution in the funeral business, but it was also beautiful. Like it was a beautiful building. Mm-hmm. It had ornate art glass, beautiful mahogany, brass and bronze hardware that was all custom made. Butterworth spared no expense and believed that the death business, despite its reputation, could be as beautiful as life. There was a 200-person chapel, a crematorium, a columbarium to store urns, a casket room, and so much more. This is um, an original sketch of like the blueprint of the exterior. Of the- oh, beautiful. It's really pretty. Uh, it's such a – like – Architecture, it used to be so wonderful. I know. Doesn't it make you sad? Yeah. I'll never hate anything more than the 80s architecture, though. So even today. Is that like the like very concrete? Yes. Boston City Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when I was like, if I become a billionaire, I'm knocking that shit down. <laughs> First it, order of Brian business. literally just told me it was voted the number four ugliest building in the world. It looks post-apocalyptic. It's so hideous. It makes me mad. Look it up, but don't look it up because it will make, yeah, you'll not, you won't (gasps) enjoy it. Okay. And also there's this like beautiful mosaic outside the front of the entrance to this that says undertaking. And we can put a picture in here too. It's like handmade tile mosaic. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's still there. (sighs) But so wait, can I just interrupt? Of course. One of my favorite gifts I've ever received, my cousin Lainey for our wedding Mm -hmm. she it was like a wedding gift slash a housewarming gift she found these spanish tiles and like sourced these beautiful handmade spanish tiles that say our address like our whole street address so that we can put it somewhere where are you gonna put it i don't know that's so cool i don't know yet okay i have so many options well stay tuned well you can't show everyone that i guess no i won't (laughs) you can show me that So, okay, it's believed that our pal Butterworth actually coined the terms mortuary and mortician, which you're like, oh, where did this come from? I know. Now I want to know. He and his sons were early adopters of the embalming techniques, which have now become like the Western practice. Mm -hmm. And although they knew that this was a business and ultimately the point of it was to make profit and make money, they believed that every person had a right to a funeral and a proper, proper burial so every year, they forgave thousands of dollars of debt. Wow. Yeah. That's and incredible. they would not seek retribution or, like, money from people yeah. who they knew could not pay for it. I mean, the whole thing started with him doing a selfless act. So exactly. it makes sense that that would be a part of his whole business. Yeah. And what I love so much about this story is 
I think we hear so many tales of places that used to be a mortuary turned into whatever it is now. And there's so much like dark and negative energy. Mm -hmm. But I really, it appears to me that the Butterworth family approached this business with so much love, so much compassion and positivity that all of the hauntings for the most part are positive. That's good. Yeah. That's great. So as I say that, all that being said, (laughs) we're dealing with death. So we're also dealing with one of the most haunted buildings in Seattle, which means we have some stories to tell. So there were all kinds of bodies entering and exit the Butterworth Mortuary, living, dead, those who died peacefully, those who did not. So there were a couple of epidemics. There was the Spanish flu pandemic. There were a bunch of tragic illnesses. And then there was the Yukon Gold Rush, which made its way through Seattle, which apparently during this time, there were certain areas of the city that were extremely dangerous. And everyone knew like, this is where the gold rush people are. Let's avoid it. Yes. And so I'm imagining like the Wild West shootouts and like bodies just being left behind. Apparently it was like that. And it was to the point where like if you worked in the mortuary business, if you were an undertaker, you the city would pay you $50 to go retrieve bodies from these areas of the city. That feels like a lot of money that for the time, which exactly. is just probably proving how dangerous that job is. Exactly. So Butterworth and his family were the undertakers who did this. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if they had costumes, you know? Like, what were their uniforms? <laughs> Just put, like, spurs on real quick. Yeah. But, like, all black, and then they have, like, a black leather Ooh. full face mask. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Someone else follows and just like whistles an ominous tune in the yeah. distance for them. It's kind of like um, what's the like British comedian who makes his own horse noises? James Acaster? No, why am I blanking? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. <gasps> who makes his own horse noises? Monty Python. Oh God, Monty Python. <laughs> I never would have gotten that. Uh, th- see, I know I wasn't explaining it right, but Monty Python. And there's the one clip where they're approaching the castle. And he has, like, his assistant, like, making horse noises. <laughs> it's all fake. Anyway, all of that for that. Okay. During the time of operation out of the Butterworth building, there was also a massive scandal in Seattle. Or also, I should say, a massive serial killer. No way. But a lady serial killer. <gasps> Women who kill. Women who kill. And this is – I had never heard this story and again, this is why I'm like another tangent side story, but it I couldn't just like tease you with a sentence about it. I had to go into the whole details. Right. So this is the story of Linda Laura Hazard, who owned and operated a sanitarium in or outside of Seattle called Wilderness Heights. And she's like the OG. I can't say, okay, I was gonna say the OG Jenny Craig, but I feel like that puts a bad <laughs> that's like calling Jenny Craig a serial Jenny killer. Craig. No, okay. She's like the OG fasting fad dietitian. Okay. She was the first diet culture influencer. Turned serial killer. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, interesting, interesting move. So from hating herself to killing others. Well, is that? Well, this is the thing. Maybe is, this, maybe this maybe, does make sense. Yeah. Wait a second. Well, okay. So when I first was reading it, I was like, okay, well, maybe she had good intentions because she, as a doctor, basically was studying disease and how to cleanse the body of toxins and like bad cells. Mm. So she had this belief that fasting and living on a fasting diet could help rid the body of cancer and like psoriasis of the liver, like a bunch of different diseases. Yeah. Which to some extent there is 
there is some science to that where like there's like the plant paradox diet with people who have autoimmune diseases. Like if you avoid certain things, they should help you. But starving yourself is different than cleansing your body of toxins. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle, which I'll say something that's kind of sad. What? Right now. I noticed that since being pregnant, this is the first time in my life that I don't like ridicule my body at all. That I'm like, well, if I need to eat and if I feel hunger pains, I'm just going to do it because that's what my body needs. Well, I hope you can take that into your life after pregnancy, Corinne. <laughs> I know. That's beautiful. Because I'm like, well, it's all for the baby. So I need to start thinking of myself as baby after baby comes. Yeah. And you are baby. Not do crazy diets. I mean, isn't it crazy that you are you are truly bringing a life into this world? Your body knows yeah. how to do that. And so your intuition, your stomach saying, like, if you're hungry, you just have to listen to it. I can't not because I will pass out and vomit if I don't. So there you go. There you go. But I I get it. It's like I I feel so much hatred towards the diet culture, but it's because I am a victim of it. We all are. Yeah. Yeah, it's shitty. There was a movie that I saw. Oh, it was the it was Iron Claw, the Zac Efron movie. And there's like two about those like brother wrestlers. About the wrestlers. Yeah. And like I really liked the movie. I couldn't even believe it was based on a true story. I was so shocked by that. It's like fox catcher or whatever that yeah. that one was. That yeah. one was horrifying. But, but this – so there's two women in that whole freaking movie, which is, I know it's not about the women in the story. But there was a line that truly infuriated me because it just perpetuated every problem with society and the way that we treat women and the way that we just ridicule women based on their bodies and make us feel like that's all that matters. Mm. The mother of the boys – Zach Efron's character is getting married, and the mother has a line that's like, see how beautiful she looks when she just puts in a little effort about the woman that Zach Efron marries? And I was like, when I heard it, I was so shocked. But I was like, okay, this is like in the middle of the movie. Maybe this comes back around. Mm-hmm. There was literally no point in that line. It didn't do anything. It didn't share anything about the characters that we didn't already know. It didn't move story forward. It didn't come back around. It was truly just that for me, it was like, this is the problem with society because we continue to, in movies and in entertainment, allow things like that to be said. Yeah. It, it was unnecessary. So much further than, than that, too, because I remember, I mean, I worked in HR for a long time and a good amount of that was we've been in a pandemic for a long yeah. time. And when everyone was first starting to transition over to working remotely, there were comments made about the women's appearance on video just because people stopped wearing makeup, but hair was still done, professionally dressed, on time, like everything else, the same amount of effort put in to be presentable. And then there would be comments and it's like, okay, well, I'll start wearing mascara when the men start wearing mascara. Because this isn't a requirement of this job. But it's like one of those things where it's like, God forbid, you don't slap some pigment that's probably toxic. (laughs) <laughs> probably giving you cirrhosis of the yeah. liver to begin with. No, it does make me sad. And it makes me sad how subtle it has become because it still exists. Like despite totally. everyone in society, like or a lot of people in society trying to like combat it, just a small like one line in a movie. I know. Can perpetuate it. This is, I get so for upset generations. about the, uh, what's the, what's the shot everyone's doing to lose weight Ozempic. right now? Ozempic. I almost said Paxlovid, which is like What's what that? you take when you have COVID and they need to oh. lessen your symptoms. It's not the same. Very different. Um, but I, get, I got so upset when that was starting because I was like, I thought we all lived through this and we were rejecting this and like really trying. And, and then to see all of these 
millennials hop on it. I was like, wait, I thought we were the ones that were saying, no, we're not wearing low rise jeans and we're not calling someone who's 115 pounds fat on the cover of a magazine. Right. And I say all of this because I am trying so hard to combat my own negative self thoughts that have been it's a it's such a toxic spiral. It's like society has put these negative thoughts in my brain and have truly made me feel this way about myself and made me judge people and made me judge myself. And then despite me wanting so hard not to buy into it, you can't avoid it. No. Winter's here. And what better way to warm up on those really chilly nights than with Dipsy? Picture this. There's a cozy blanket. There's the crackling fireplace. So what else is missing? Oh, maybe just listening to a sexy fantasy audiobook. Ooh, how about with Dipsy? Because it's an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, hot and heavy hookups. Oh, and if you are into the fairy smut like we are nowadays, they have a growing Mm -hmm. library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, fairy smut, so many things to explore the bounds of your pleasure. Yeah, they release new content every week, so there's always something new. And they also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind. And, you know, you can listen and heat things up with a partner too. For listeners of the show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash TGOG. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash TGOG. Dipsystories.com slash TGOG. Anyway, back to serial killers. Okay, so <laughs> our first enemy. Our first enemy. Um, enemy of herself, too, I'm sure. Well, you'll find out. Okay, so at first I was like, well, maybe this woman had good intentions because there were a couple people who really swore by her practice and hmm. felt much better and healed after doing her cleanse, I guess you should call it. Yeah. But then I kept reading. And in an effort to not get into details or trigger anyone who might have an eating disorder or anything, she basically would put her patients on very strict diets to the point where they starved to death. Is this a woman who wanted everyone to eat the sunrise? No. No, no, no. I guess that's more, way more modern times. Yeah, I feel like that's more. Yeah, okay. This is around like 1900s, early 1900s. She would starve them to death and then to, like on their deathbed, she basically would forge their signatures or force them to sign over their possessions to her. So she, mm-hmm. I think at some point, shifted from healing people to realizing that <sighs> there's more money actually in killing people. And in 1911, actually it was at least 15 of her patients died from starvation some of them weighed like 60 pounds at death. That's how bad it was. Oh, my God. There was one patient who had been found with a bullet wound in the head, which, I mean, that's straight up just murder. Yeah. So in 1911, she was found guilty of manslaughter, sentenced 2 to 20, which is kind of a large span of years, of hard labor for killing at least 15 people for financial gain at the sanitarium she operated. During the trial, this is how we connect back to Butterworth's, the Butterworths were accused of participating and helping perpetuate this scam because I guess one or two of the victims had been sent to the mortuary there. And people were like pointing fingers at Butterworths being like, you knew that this was a murder and you did something during the 
Oh, basically, that they didn't report that the condition of the body was that and that they had done something to make the body look less emaciated for the funeral services. Mm -hmm. But there was no evidence that they were actually connected to it. There was no like financial record that they were benefiting from this. I think they also have no understanding of what embalming actually does. But I am curious if like them trying to embalm someone with the regular amount that they would insert into an, an adult would look quite odd and different in someone who was not presenting as like a normal well then also like wait i i mean i've watched a couple episodes of six feet under so i know everything about the embalming process (laughs) um they do a lot of in that show at least they did a lot of like manipulating of the skin and the body to make the person look more presentable for funerals Mm. like there was someone who died of a bullet wound and they like covered it up or something and then also the bodies bloat after death. I know it's yeah. different when you embalm them, but anyway. I also feel like I've never seen an open casket where it like truly authentically looks like the person. It's so no, different. It's so different. Yeah. Anyway, there was no way to verify or there was no evidence to actually point fingers at the Butterworths. It was more of like a suspicion. But when you look at it from a paranormal aspect, it does make you wonder if like that type of victim being brought into that building, what kind of energy it would leave behind. Mm-hmm. Body upon body entered this building. Think of so many various traumas that the people endured leading them to their death. Cowboy shootouts, epidemics, being starved to death, murder. Many of the bodies also during this time, I think, were unidentified. It's like early 1900s, a lot of people dying from flus, epidemics. Which brings us back to today. So in 1923, the Butterworth and Sons funeral business relocated and the building was pretty much empty before Kell's Irish pub took residence. Okay, so... As we transition back to the Irish pub and modern day, I want to leave you with one sweet fact and one justice fact. Okay. So the Butterworth family, actually this business ran for decades to the point where it passed through family hands all the way down to Edgar's E.R. Butterworth's great-great-grandson. I love that. Yeah. No one just sold it to have the money. I think they had a couple of mergers, and then I don't necessarily know what happened after that, Mm. but it stayed in the family for a really long time. And then as a piece of karmatic justice, I don't know if karmatic is a word, but we're going It is now. Karmic? Karmic justice. Karmic. There we go. Karmatic. (laughs) Yeah, don't rely on me for any corrections these (laughs) days. There is nothing going on inside this mind. Guess how... The serial killer, the starvation doctor, Linda Laura Hazard, died. Well, initially I would say she died from malnutrition and starvation. You're right. (laughs) She tried to do one of her own cleanses and she died. It's hard because I feel like the people like her and maybe I'm just thinking of certain people that ran like essentially cults. Mm -hmm. Usually they do die from the same thing because they end up convincing themselves of the thing that they're preaching 100 i think she fully believed that what she was putting people through was a remedy it's just wild it's like after you see two one person okay maybe you're you're convincing yourself it's that person they had something else going on right and it wasn't having to do with your own treatment but like two people three people four people like 15 even yourself as you start to drop weight wouldn't you say okay well i've already watched 15 people die yeah you would think it's so what? Yeah, it's yeah. What I do like can about yourself. this story is kind of going off of your episode last week about how like sad these industries and like these like reformatory schools yeah. and sanitariums were. A lot of these 
doctors who were running them did not see any repercussion, but she did, which I appreciate. I am glad. Mm -hmm. But okay, thousands of deceased and even more who mourned the deceased came in and out of this building. As you can imagine, the energy in the building is palpable, all of that mourning, all of that love, all that pain, staining the walls, taking up residence in the form of residual and active paranormal happenings. There was a quote from this woman, I think her, what's her name? Mercedes Caraba, who once ran ghost tours around Pike Place Market. I want to read it. She said, this area is just kind of inarguably creepy. Yep. Straight to the point. Yeah. I couldn't find the exact date that Kells Pub moved into the building, but the family that owns it has owned the building since 2005 and almost immediately began to experience hauntings. So Karen, who is the sister of the owner of the pub, was in the building on All Saints Day, November 1st in 2005, and she saw – she was, like, busy doing some things, like, setting up when she sees out of the corner of her eye a man walk in towards the bar, and she, mm-hmm. like, looks up. She's like, that's weird. There shouldn't be someone here. She looks up and sees this man's wearing a, a suit jacket and notices his hands are very thin, thin hands. Mm. And before she can, like, really say anything to him, he, she sees the man walk to the end of the bar and then poof, disappear. She's like, huh. It's also strange. Like, he must have been larger in stature for his slim hands to be. Such a noticeable so thing. So noticeable. Like, yeah. he wasn't a slender man. No. Elsewhere. Right. Just his hands. Slender fingers. Forget slender man. Salad fingers. Salad. I like rusty spoons. And so the hauntings began. Mm. Over the years, staff and patrons have reported so many ghostly happenings, apparitions, objects moving on their own, eerie feelings, ghostly whispers. And the family who owns it, having spent so much time there, believes there are a bunch of different ghosts that come and go, but that there are a couple regulars. The entrance to Kells is in Post Alley, and the bar is technically in the basement. But over the years, the business has expanded. They've now taken residence of, like, the whole building. So there's Mm -hmm. different banquet halls. There's restaurants, bars. And the bar itself, where it resides, is where the Butterworths kept hearses and horses for transportation of bodies. And right above the bar is where the embalming room was. Wow. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Patrick McLeese, who owns the bar, wasn't really sure what to think of all the strange things happening and for a really long time was like, I don't think I believe in the paranormal. I don't know. Doors open on their own. Sometimes I see a man sitting at the bar who isn't really there, but I don't How think do you it's you blame anything. that on the wind or an right. old building? Like if you're seeing a man, you're seeing a man. That's paranormal activity. Right. I know. And he said, okay, so this is his story. So this is Charlie, the ghost who sits at the bar who we in our rewriting of history <laughs> sat next to. Yes. We know Um, Charlie. We know him. Great friend. He didn't like us, but we love him. Rejected. So Patrick says he'll on occasion be working behind the bar. And it's like one of those bars that has a mirror, Mm -hmm. like, you know, where all the liquor is. So he, there was one time where he turned and was grabbing a liquor bottle and was looking into the mirror and saw behind him at the bar, a man in a derby hat, just smiling. And he turns and there's no one there. I wonder if it was the man looking at him smiling. I think so. And it always happens in that exact spot. So it's like Charlie has his seat at the bar. Yeah. And he was telling a story about – there was one article where it was in an interview with Patrick. And he was telling this story about there was a couple that was at the bar and this woman was sitting. I couldn't tell if she was in Charlie's seat or the one next to Charlie's seat. But basically her husband was taking a photo of her. 
and it was looking at her straight on the mirror of the bar behind her. They look back at the photo and his wife's looking at him the, at the camera, but then there's this like profile of a man kind of like right here. Do we have the actual photo of it? I couldn't find it. Damn it. I hate when these things happen. I know, but there is on this article, there is a recreation of Charlie <laughs> and we'll put it in here. It is the funniest picture. Oh, wow. Do you see him? Yeah. He's holding a Guinness. He's holding. Yeah, of course. He's got a grand old smile with his little hat on. He looks jolly. He does. So I wasn't able to find that photo, but there is a creepy photo. Mm. So during a remodel, I'm not sure who took this photo, but there was a photo taken that shows a very, very creepy looking thing. So basically in the I'm photo. I'm like desperately trying to look over at your drinks and see what At my is. drinks. All of your drinks. All my drinks. All my water and Celsius. Okay. So in the photo. There is, it's taken kind of near the area where Charlie's mirror is, but I don't think it's Charlie. It's like a door slightly cracked open and there is something. Fuck is that? Right. Or someone poking, Looks like Jack Skellington. Right? Isn't that creepy? Ew. I don't like this. So some people are like, I think it's Charlie. I know. I don't think it's Charlie. It's not Charlie. Because there's another ghost. This kind of looks. Like a kid? I was going to say like a. Maybe like a bison skull. Oh. Is this a skeleton? Interesting. Well, it does kind of look like it's There's wearing like a mask. like a hollow eye socket. And then the rest feels like bone. I just imagine that it's like the way the picture was taken. It's not very clear because I f- feel like if you were to see, if you look even closer, like it's like the profile of a face where I feel like this is the nose right it feels here. feels very like Jason, you know, hockey mask. But I could also see it just being like a little kid. Oh. And I do think it's a little <laughs> kid because... There is another regular at the bar. Okay. And it's a child. And it's a child. It's the little girl in the red dress. And despite this being a 21 and up bar, actually during the day, it's open to kids. But this little girl is the most loyal patron. She loves the bar. She loves the bar. It's the forbidden place. Everyone wants Mm -hmm. to go. And she truly has been treated as a member of the team because of how often she is seen. (laughs) She's very playful. She actually likes to prank people. And then during the hours of the restaurant operation, if there are kids there, she will try to play with the kids. And so a lot of kids will like report like the little girl like in the red dress wanting to play. Wow. She also manipulates things. I don't know what pranks she pulls, but there was a security guard in 2010. His name was Hosiah. And he was working at Kells. It was a busy weekend. And I think his he was sitting up like on the second floor doing like a standing guard of the door, mm-hmm. basically making sure no one came upstairs. And it was getting ready for shift change when he heard the sound of footsteps running up the stairs. And he was like, that's weird. So he walks over to the stairwell. And by the time he gets over there, the, st- the feet are now climbing up to the next set of stairs up to the third floor. Mm-hmm. He sees what appears to be a little girl. He sees these like black little ballet flats, white stockings. So cute. And the bottom of a red flowy dress. And she takes off up the steps. She's trying to play tag. She's like, Josiah, go play hide and seek with her. So he's like radioing to all of the other security because it's it's late at night. And this yeah. is now, it's a 21 and up only. And he's like, does anyone have a kid here? Like, did anyone stay for like lunch or dinner that ended up like not leaving? And there's a kid oh, still so did there. Did he not know about the kid ghost at this time? So I think he had heard but didn't believe. So it's just the last thing in his mind that he was actually Absolutely. seeing the spirit. So someone responds on the radio being like, negative. There are no children here. 
And so Hosiah's like, oh shit, like some kid snuck in. So he runs up the stairs and gets up to the third floor where it's pretty much empty except for like one doorway, which is locked. And it's dark. And he's like, there's nowhere this little girl could have gone. And it dawns upon him as he's up there in the darkness of this third floor that he just saw a ghost. So he runs back down the stairs and he's like, nope, Three not flights. dealing with that. It's a lot yeah. of stairs to have to fly down. Yeah. How many stairs did he take at a time? That's my question. I think the average stairs per flight is 14 steps. So do you think he took it in like three steps? I think so. He's a big guy, I think. Or do you think it was like one of those things where he gets so scared his brain doesn't process? He does the like Scooby, Shaggy, yeah. like run in place really he's slow. He's like tapping on each yeah. stair twice. <laughs> twice. Just playing <laughs> a little slowest like piano on there. Descent. I don't know. That story happened in 2010. And I think this article was written more recently. And he's like, oh, man. Like, he still remembers it very, very clearly. So spooked. Yeah. I feel like it's always the security guards who get the most scared. I know. Because they're alone. They're alone. alone. <laughs> they're alone uh, and it's always dark. It's always dark. Yeah. But it does seem like most of the spirits here are friendly, which is nice. And people believe, like I said earlier, that despite the original building having housed such a morbid and dark business, that the way that the Butterworths attended to and cared for the dead with so much love and compassion that they brought with it this positive, beautiful energy that helped usher the dead from this life into the next. That's really lovely. There was a saying that, like, I think the Butterworth mortuary monopolized the death business in Seattle, that almost every person who died in Seattle went past through those doors. Wow. Honestly, and this is a, it sounds like the way that they operated and how their family went about treating other families who lost people. I'm glad that they did. Yeah, me too. It's a business that should have been dealing right. with mourning people. Exactly. Because we've heard horror stories. Right. Yeah. So I do appreciate that this is a positive experience. And so now with Kel's Pub, there is a resurgence of this positivity and liveliness that apparently the ghosts love and like bask within because oh. it's like people having fun and drinking beer yeah. and there's just like this positive energy to it. I mean, Charlie's smiling. The little girl's running around asking yeah. people to play with her. Yeah. There's nothing super creepy except for that one photo that you think is of the little kid, but I think it's a, a skeleton dead bison. <laughs> dead bison. It does have like a little like Dear David-y vibe it to does, it. Like a it little does. kid. It's a little too smooth egg head. Yeah. So there's all of the, like, typical hauntings, lights turning on and off, sounds, temperature shifts, eerie little, like, sounds. Some people feel touched. And aside from this one encounter, which is, is scary, most of the spirits are positive. There was one encounter where the owner's mother had, like, walked up the stairs or, like, was at the top of one set of stairs and was pushed. Nope. And that is fucked up. It's so fucked up. You don't push anyone and you don't yeah. push an old lady. No, you don't. But aside from that, most of the encounters are positive, like Charlie smiling, the little girl running, just mm -hmm. temperature changes, nothing massive. In 2010, Ghost Adventures did visit the pub and apparently caught photos of a disfigured child, which could be the photo similar to the child in that photo mm -hmm. I showed you. And on the show, they caught sounds of footsteps and tortured whispers. But today, tortured whispers sounds way more extreme than just a jolly good time. Sure. But I, again, it was people dying. They're confused. They don't know what's happening. Right. The hard thing, though, is like, I feel like it's so easy to be like, oh, people died here, but they, they were already dead when they got there, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's confused. 
Well, how long do people follow their bodies for? We don't know. You know? It's a good question. Some people might. For I mean, a long time. Why are, why are certain gravesites haunted in cemeteries? Good question. Some people are attached to their bodies. Yeah. So today, Kells Irish Pub is a Seattle staple. They have embraced their haunted reputation. You can visit yourself, sit next to Charlie at the bar, stop in for a drink, or there are a lot of ghost tours. Like I'm pretty sure all of the Seattle ghost tours have Kells Pub as a stop on the really? on the tour. I can't believe we were so close and had I know. no idea. But we were a stone's throw. We were in the vicinity. We were too distracted at chewing gum and adding our gum <laughs> and to the wall. And then getting Ghost Alley coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I chose a story from the UK because I just assumed your story <laughs> was from the UK. I'm pretty sure I put Kells Pub, comma, Seattle. Probably. <laughs> I saw pub. I said UK. Okay. All right. UK? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know what kind of acne is new to me? What? Butt acne. Ugh. And I am so glad that this sponsor, Apostrophe, which is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin, came into our lives when it did because I was like, what's up with my butt? Help me. And they did. <laughs> What is happening? You can simply just fill out an online consultation about your skin goals, your medical history, and then they actually have you snap a few selfies, some pictures of your problem areas, and then a dermatology provider will create a customized treatment plan just for you. And you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne. They offer prescription treatments for all types of acne. So not just butt acne, but hormonal acne to facial acne, back, chest, breakouts, head to toe. We have a special deal for our Two Girls, One Ghost listeners. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash TGOG when you use our code TGOG. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash TGOG and click get started. Then use our code TGOG at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. This is called Ghost Story, Peter, the Dead Pervy Drunk. I'm down. Yes. We love a pervy ghost here at Two Girls, One Ghost. Actually, pervy ghosts love us. That's true. That's more true. We have done nothing. Well. (laughs) To warrant what has happened. Sure. Peter. Ghostesses and Sven, question mark. It's like, and Sven? What if Sven Sven is the pervy ghost? Sven takes many forms. That's true. Sven is many. Hi, I'm Sarah from the UK, the place with all the ghosties, <laughs> and this is my first time writing you, and I doubt it'll be my last because I just have way too many stories, and the more that I listen to you guys, the more of my memories get triggered. Ooh, we're unlocking your triggering I know. memories. Whoa. I feel like that happens to to me still, too, like both of us. Yeah. It's like almost seven years of the podcast, and we'll be like, oh, wait, that, that one I, time. I had something like that happen. I feel like more so for you. Because I have a horrible Paranormal. memory. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I feel like I my paranormal memory is stronger than like any other of my memories because I don't have like any memories, mm. but I just have like my key paranormal encounters. You have you have a handful. Yeah. Yeah. I started listening to you after you guys were on Morbid. Now Ooh. I'm hooked like everyone else and I feel like you guys are my friends. And then I take my headphones out and I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah, they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> now we do. 
I would describe myself as a sensitive but skeptical person. Like I'm wishing for a tangible, logical reason so that I can say, oh, thank God, this is just nothing. (laughs) Yeah, we understand that. We get it. I grew up with a nurse for a mom who always worked in care homes. Palliative? Am I saying that right? Palliative Palliative and hospice care? Yeah. So she had her share of experiences, but I don't think that she's as open to it as me, probably because she didn't grow up with her mom coming home and telling her spooky stories. (laughs) Maybe one day I'll write down some of her stories for you, too. What should I tell you? I could tell you about my encounter with Jack, a kid ghost from Edinburgh vaults, which was where I really started to accept that I was sensitive. Or I could tell you about my last house, which I may have been possessed in. Sarah. But it's a dark story. It really scares the hell out of me. So today, I will tell you about a spirit whose house my sons and I currently rent. My home is in a tiny brick and terrace house, two up and two down in the center of town, and was built around 1910 to 1920 as housing for a local brewery. (gasps) That's so fun. I know. That is fun. Also, how lucky for those people that they got housed, you know? Yeah. Work at the brewery. We'll give you housing. We'll give you housing. Hmm. This terrace is solid. They built them different back in the day, I guess. If my neighbor can't hear my four-year-old having a screaming tantrum, then I'm definitely not mistaking her for my ghost. Yep. We've been here for over a year now, and this ghost has made themselves known. The encounters initially started as things being knocked over and thrown, and I would blame my cat, a black cat, Mm. called Ada. And eventually I started to realize that Ada would be somewhere else or she would be sat next to me. I should add that Ada rarely responds to anything ghostly, but she is technically blind, so I will give her a pass on the paranormal detection business. Ada's so cute. (laughs) She has no idea. Yeah. Or maybe she just truly thinks you have another family member. Right. It is normal for her. Yeah. We'll often hear footsteps running or walking between the two bedrooms, which as a single parent, I notice because 70% of the time it's one of my sons running in to cuddle me in my bed. (laughs) One time my friend was over and was pretty emotional. And whilst she was crying, I started hearing footsteps. But then she's holding the cat and has a light bulb moment about the noise and says, I thought you said the boys were with their dad. And I was like, oh, yeah, they are. And she's like, wow, you weren't joking about the ghost, were you? On one morning, we accidentally played hide and seek with our ghost. Accidentally. Accidentally. Whoops. My oldest son, he's about six, and he had run and jumped into my bed. Usually my younger son, Wyatt, will have already run in at that time, around 5 a.m., and then he goes back to sleep. But on this day, there was no Wyatt. So Aaron and I are talking, and we're cuddling, and we're hearing footsteps. Aaron says, Wyatt's coming. Hide. So we dive under the covers, (laughs) and we wait for his four-year-old brother to find us. The boys love to hide when they know that someone's coming into the room. Whenever me and their dad would come and pick the boys up, They would always duck under something so that they can jump out at us. I feel like I still love to do that. (laughs) So in this instance, it was pretty normal. However, we hid and Wyatt did not find us. Nothing happened. Eventually, we peeked back out and nothing. I went to go check on Wyatt and he was completely knocked out in bed. Legs akimbo, mouth open, snoring away. I've been circling around the ghost as I'm writing, but now I'm really going to get into it. This guy is a cheeky little shit, (laughs) and he likes me. He doesn't interact too much with the boys, but they have obviously experienced him. Many times I felt his presence behind me like someone standing really close. And once I was washing the dishes and I felt this intensity, and then he whispered in my ear, Hello there, lovely. (gasps) You're being seduced. It's kind of hot. (laughs) 
I imagine the like the breathy whisper, yeah. like sending shiveries down. He like, wraps your... his arm around her. Yeah, waist. it's like romantic. He puts on the rubber gloves to wash the dishes. I was like, you. where are we going with the gloves? Is he murdering her? No, now he's doing the dishes. Oh, that is That's that hot. is romance. Needless to say, I froze. And then I hunted through the house for a physical person or a window left open, but nothing. But I'd felt him behind me. I felt the breath of his words as he spoke or, or flirted. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine a drunk old guy in a pub. That's what it felt like. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so not what I we was were thinking picturing. like younger, attractive. I know. We were in a romance Yeah, novel. we are. Heath Ledger we're behind We're here us. for ghost sex. This encounter made me start to acknowledge the ghost. And I would calmly say, no, thank you. <laughs> and, and tell him that if he meant us any harm, he was not welcome. And that if he behaved respectfully, then so would I. Then he can get in your pants. <laughs> I started thinking about the ghost as this cheeky old drunk. I rarely spoke about the encounters whilst I was home because it doesn't really feel polite to talk about it in front of the ghost. <laughs> like I'm gossiping about someone to their face. Aww. However, my boyfriend didn't subscribe to this and he was on the phone with me one night quizzing me about this guy. During this call, I said, yeah, he seems like an old flirty drunk. They're just messing around. And it was then that I immediately knew that I was wrong. I felt guilty. I felt embarrassed. Aww. Like I called a fat girl pregnant. That happened to me once. <laughs> I had the image in my head, like it had downloaded to me, of a young man with dark hair and what I would describe as his 20s in working class clothes. And it felt like he was being like, excuse me? This is what I look like. So he is hot. <laughs> he is. I'm picturing like a Killian Murphy in Piggy mm. Blinders. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I went to Damien Salvatore from oh. the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> it's real dark. So hot. And hundreds of years old. Millions and thousands of years old. Oh. But, okay. So now we're we're dating like early humans. Prehistoric <laughs> humans. Cavemen. Millions of years old. <laughs> He's a centipede. <laughs> In Corinne's episode of her own story, she mentioned knowing, and this is exactly what I think could apply to me. I'm not a medium because deep down I do have a lot of doubt, but maybe this is due to my own insecurity and my anxiety about what I experienced. Either way, crazy or knowing, I now believe slash know that this ghost is slash was a younger guy. I've got two more encounters with him to tell you about. After I broke up with my boyfriend, I was in bed one night having a good old cry both rooms have built-in wardrobes, and the doors are pretty old, and they're pretty heavy. They don't rattle. It takes a solid yank to move them, let alone a draft. Anyway, I'm crying, and those wardrobe doors start rattling. And my first thought is that Ada the cat got herself stuck in there, and Aww. she's trying to bang her way out. So I go, I get up, and I go to let her out, but she's not in there. And I'm just looking at my shoes thinking, the fuck? I track her down, and she is asleep with Aaron on the top bunk. I go back mildly creeped out, but telling myself that maybe something fell. I end up crying again later that night because I was having a real pity party, as we all do after a breakup. Mm -hmm. And again, the wardrobe door starts banging and rattling. So I walk over and I can literally see them shaking like they're being kicked from the inside. I open the doors expecting Ada to just casually step out again like, oh, fancy seeing you here. <laughs> but again, nothing. And that cat is still asleep with Aaron. Oh. No, thank you, I say. And then I go back into bed. I put the covers up to my face. 
if the point was to get me to stop crying, well, then it worked. (laughs) Nothing like a real horror movie to stop a girl from crying. (laughs) Lastly, I'd showered and I was lying naked on my bed, doom scrolling. (gasps) Home alone for a change. (laughs) I know. (laughs) As I'm lying there. I'm a perv, aren't I? I Or maybe you're predicting what's going to happen. And I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) The pervy ghost is actually you. Maybe. (laughs) Hey, if I'm a ghost and you want some help, ask. (laughs) Why not? Why not? I'll be dead. As I'm laying there, I feel a hand gently press to my shoulder and then slowly stroke across and down my back until it reached my bum where it gripped and then disappeared. Again, I say, no, thank you. And then I get up and I get dressed so quickly and then I get into my bed. Nothing else happened, thank God, but that little shit, he felt me up. I wanted to tell myself maybe it was a muscle spasm, but I really can't excuse the sensation of his hand squeezing my ass. Yeah. It was a confident and familiar touch. Not like some dickhead slapping you in your ass in public. It was like a partner who'd seen their partner naked. And as much as I didn't like it, I didn't feel threatened by it, if that makes sense. Maybe I'm just in denial. Recently, I thought... I wonder what their name is. And a name came to my mind immediately. Peter. Peter. I don't know why, but if I want to lean into the knowing ability that I'm just going to go with it, I'll call my ghost Peter. And bear in mind that I thought he was just this drunk. This house was housing for a brewery worker, which is something that I found out as I'm writing this because I Googled it. (laughs) And I'm literally sat there thinking, Christ on a cracker, how, 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 how? And that's me done for the day. Hope this wasn't too long. I do have some happy ghost stories, not just all creepy, that all point to me being sensitive. Like my dog coming back to visit me to break me out of a panic attack. Dreaming about my nan visiting my mom only for my mom to wake up the next morning and immediately start going through her old possessions. Things like that. See you on the other side. Sarah. Okay. Well, Sarah, you owe us a lot of emails. I know. I do wonder if you could find out information about Peter because if you can find out that there were people living there working at the beer house like i wonder if there's record of peter because i do wonder if that was like a job where there were a lot of people that were cycled in and out or if there was just a group of employees that were there for a long time for a long time also just so you know sarah i'm sure you already thought about this but peter is watching you shower watching like that was not the first time peter saw you naked but it was the first time yeah it was the first time peter had an opportunity to touch you because Gotta say it. You were laying there naked. Yeah. On the bed. And he thinks you're pretty hot. He likes you. He's flirting. Which is why he was so upset when you pictured him as something other than what he was. He was like, what do you mean? I thought we were kind of like having this rapport, having this flirtation back and forth. I hang out with your kids sometimes. I'm kind of picturing Ryan Gosling in The Notebook. Oh, yeah. That's cutie. (laughs) It is interesting, though. Yeah. I wonder if anything like that will happen again. Let us know, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, he also, took, if like, you'd a like to, squeeze. if you still live there and you would like a, a roommate for the summer, I'll uh, I'll hang with Peter. <laughs> Peter, Peter, pussy eater. I was going to say that, and then I was like, "Don't say it." <laughs> but we we got there anyway. We completed each other's mm. sandwiches. sandwiches. Why are we referencing a children's movie after saying that? Isn't that from Step Brothers? No, it's. It's uh, Anna and what's his face? Olaf? Hans. They're like singing a song. 
Oh, but that's also from you know, Step Brothers. Of course, that's we your reference. each other's sandwiches. <gasps> that's what I was going to say. I think that's from Step Brothers, though. Origin- like, Is it? I could have sworn. The origin of we complete each other's sandwiches. The joke has been popular since 2005. Let's see. Oh, so maybe it is Step the Brothers. The Simpsons, Scary Movie 4, that 70s show, Arrested Development. I don't remember it from Step Brothers, but I certainly remember it from Frozen. All right. Well, it, it is also in Frozen, of course. Of course, you're correct. Well, it's in the it's in the musical it's in number. The, of course, the big, big number. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's been in a bunch of things. Wow. Of course, your memory is cute little innocent child, <laughs> childhood childhood if we were like well, 20 child, when it came out <laughs> children's movie i should say mine is more of like a one of our good friends that was obsessed with frozen so oh, yeah i think i probably saw, saw it 20 times time. that was when i out of her i spent the summer in italy as an au pair when that had come out and i remember watching it in like every language with the girls oh really and even i always forget you were an au pair it's so cool. it was a short it was like a small it was short but they would watch it in Italian and then, then they'd watch it in English and they knew the words to it in English the because they had watched it so many through. times. Yeah. Anyway, if you would like to share your ghost story with us, please email it to us at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like a roommate in the UK this summer, or if you want me to rent out your home in the UK, ideally, if you have a ghost, that would be great. One that looks like Peter, <laughs> a hot, Hot, sexy ghost, (laughs) But any ghost will do, mostly. Um, Two bedrooms, two baths, quaint, uh, maybe a cat or two. (laughs) I'm not asking for much. Yes, potentially in a tower or somewhere attached to a castle. Yeah. On the grounds, at least, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Small asks. Yeah, very, very small. But, I mean, the UK has a lot to to offer. So deliver, please. (laughs) On a platter. Yes. You can support us in a variety of ways. One of the best ways to support us is to tell people about the podcast. Have two people listen and then you're officially nominated as the head of our pyramid scheme. Yeah, you can be promoted. Join us on Patreon. You can get episodes one week early and ad-free on Patreon. You get a bonus episode every month. You get campfire stories every Tuesday and a whole bunch of other little presents and prizes. Mm -hmm. Including a quarterly book club. (gasps) Which is a big, it's super fun. Yeah. You can follow us on social media and you can come back every single week. Thank you to Jamie who edits and produces our audio and video. We're so grateful for you. And thank you to all of you who listen week to week. And we will see you on the other side. side.